I'm Dean Newland, and welcome to the Business of Intuition, where I coach, facilitate, train, and speak on the hard science and meaningful experience of intuitive leadership in business, so you can make better decisions, forge real connections, and creatively solve problems to amplify your impact and simplify your life. Welcome to the Business of Intuition. Humans are knowledge seekers. Humans want to act upon knowledge. Humans know that there is a lot more knowledge than that they are aware of. We hear phrases like, we don't know what we don't know. We ask questions on 360 assessments. What is this person's blind spots? We do environmental scans so we don't miss a shift in customer needs and become an example of a failing company in next edition of Jim Collins' book, How the Mighty Fall. Cash might be king, but knowledge is God. The tools we use to access and act on this knowledge is the analytical brain. This left side of the brain has created ingenious ways to measure just about everything. Project managers give us scorecards. Big data consulting companies kick out reports on marketing effectiveness, and employees are measured on their productivity. But these tools and attitudes we have towards knowledge blind us to much larger sources of knowledge and experience. It's like driving a car in the fog. We see a little around us, the steering wheel, the dashboard, the hood of the car, and 20 years in front of us, but not what's ahead on the road. Yes, humans seek knowledge, but we don't typically use our intuition. We are partially blind unless we use all the tools available to us. Intuition is a superhuman power we all have. We just need to learn how to trust it, develop it, and use it. The knowledge we get from intuition leads us back to ourselves, our identity, our confidence, our sense of self. The freedom to express knowledge from our intuition builds trust and purpose. On a sidebar, while we try to measure engagement with our employees, we don't measure the conditions that allow for and encourage intuition. But my next guest on the business of intuition is Michelle Sammons. Michelle is an inspirational author, intuitive teacher, and highly attuned guide who works with clients worldwide, helping them transform their lives. As an empath and intuitive, Michelle's lighthearted, joyful approach embraces people right where they are on their spiritual path and intuitive path and genuinely guides them to personal clarity and understanding. Michelle makes her home in Memphis, Tennessee with her husband, Scott, and chocolate Labrador Dewey. Michelle is the author of The Little Book of Big Knowing, Tiny Bursts, of insight to wake up your soul and intuitive compass. Consult your inner guru for everyday guidance. Michelle's work is featured in Authority Magazine, Thrive Global, and Well-Defined. Michelle Sammons on the business of intuition. Michelle, it's great to have you on the show. I'm very much looking forward to this conversation. I would love to start off with a question. And that is, when did you know that you were intuitive? Was there some aha moment that went, ah, I've got something here. What is it? Did you have a sense about what that was? And do you know when that happened? Yeah, so that's a great question. And I love it because a lot of folks either think you are intuitive or you're not intuitive. 
And, you know, because we hear all these great stories about people who have been intuitive since birth, right? And they just always relied on it. But what happens to a lot of folks is we all, it's part of the human package, but we just kind of get trained out of using our intuition. And that happened to myself included. So as a kid, I was very, I liked my own quiet time. I liked listening to my own creativity. I loved my inner world. But as you go to school and you become your friends and your parents and teachers and all that stuff, it starts to, you start to kind of lean into like the analytical, logical part of learning. And you, a lot of us leave this intuitive part of us kind of aside. We kind of let it go dormant. And that happened for me also. So my intuition started kind of nudging me and kind of wanting to get my attention again in my mid-30s. And Mm. it's always trying to get our attention, of course, but in a big way in my mid-30s, it really started pushing and pulling me in a direction away from one direction and towards another direction that kind of developed into this whole career that I have now. Great. So you mentioned something that you were trained out of being intuitive. Is that to say that we are intuitive naturally as children and that as we get into our school systems we're asked to regurgitate facts and information and to be able to memorize history that this muscle of intuition gets a little unused and then we forget how to connect with it yes exactly so what happens is when you know as kids we come in and and we're naturally as part of this human package, this intuition, this communication that we have from, from our higher selves that kind of just helps guide us. And then when we start to get, when we start to learn, you know, facts, figures, how to do multiplication tables, all those good things that we need to know in order to be, you know, functioning in this world, we forget that we are intuitive, that skill's not taught and all of us like receive information differently. So we don't, um, there's not really a class that you go through school with, like, how do you use your intuition and how does it work best for you and how do you hear it? And so because that's kind of not nurtured within our culture, it's not part of what we kind of well, cherish, if you will. So we just don't teach our kids to keep using it, to keep dreaming, to keep visualizing, to keep our imaginations open. It's just something just hit me. I mean, because I've been at this podcast now for almost a couple of years and I've been really fascinated by intuition. I've got a little TED talk on the subject, but you just said something that spurred an idea that I've never had before. So I was uh, with a client over the last few days and somebody mentioned about the fact that they have a 16 year old and they're going through the quote unquote normal 16 year old identity crisis. It's almost like it's an expected period in one's development. Oh, you have to be going through an identity crisis when you're 16. But then it just hit me that maybe what happens when these kids become adolescents is that they've gotten so far away from that intuitive side that of course they're gonna have an identity crisis because they're no longer tapping into that part that's their highest and best self, right? They're being molded into an analytical mindset, divorcing themselves from that intuitive knowing. Of course, one would go through it into a, a crisis of identity. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, so that's a good a great point because as teenagers, when we start to kind of do a little rebelling, right, against what our parents have taught us, what their paradigms were and what their rules were, and teachers also, or any kind of authority figures because they're trying to figure out for themselves. 
But what makes it, what adds to the suffering of that for the individual is that they have, not only are they realizing that those are someone else's rules and ways of being, and they're trying to figure out their own, they've kind of lost touch with the part of them that knows what their way is, knows how to direct them, knows their guidance. So not only are they realizing that they've got to figure it out for themselves, they've also forgotten how to do that, like how to tap into that. We also do this with midlife crises. That's what that's right. all about, right? So we can <laughs> come back around to this, you know, because we, hmm. if we don't figure it out, like kind of early on, where our intuition is going to keep nudging us like, hey, hey, this is, you know, this wasn't exactly what you had in mind when you came here. So it keeps coming back to us. It's not going to give up. Talking to another client recently, healthcare organization, and obviously healthcare has gotten a tough last few months and years with COVID and the healthcare industry as itself is really suffering. And they told me that they got their, their engagement surveys back and it was actually better than they had anticipated. So I was looking at the things that they were measuring, right? In the engagement level, right? Well, it just occurred to me, like there's nothing in the engagement survey of any company that I've ever seen that measures intuition. That is the sense of like, are you able to feel safe enough to tap into that higher part of yourself, that intuitive side where you can communicate in a meeting with your peers, even though you may not be the subject matter, quote unquote, analytical expert in this area, but you can speak into somebody else's area because your intuition sort of just is beginning to come alive with ideas. We don't measure that. We know it's that part of the way in which we measure engagement. But as I'm hearing you talk, and I agree with you, that intuition is part of what makes us engaged. Yeah, well, it's where our insights and our ideas come from, right? It's one of the our creative resources. And that's how like inventors get ideas. That's how artists get ideas. That's how writers get ideas. We are tapping into our intuition and we get those kind of aha moments. And so that's what kind of moves us forward. Because if we just stay in the analytical, rational part of our mind, that only knows from history, right? It only knows what it already knows. So you don't really take those leaps until your intuition comes into play. So if you want to take some kind of leap with your organization or some kind of leap with your invention or your creativity, you've got to have your intuition be a part of of the puzzle. Yeah, I was thinking about how organizations are so much interested in wanting to be innovative. And I think that our catchphrase or our accepted way to tap into intuition is the classical brainstorming session. It's like where you can just sort of let whatever ideas, throw some post-it notes on the wall. Let's talk about it. What's really happening is probably people are beginning to let go of having to be right in everything where we've been given the freedom to be creative. Hence, we can kind of tap into that intuitive side, but we don't call it that. Let's go have an intuitive session. No, we call it, let's go have a brainstorming session, but they're probably very similar. Yes. You're just giving yourself permission to think outside of the box, right? You're giving yourself permission to open up to something different. And that's when we frame it up any way we want, it's just permitting ourselves to kind of, to shift gears really from the analytical part of us to the intuitive part of us. And what I want to encourage is some people don't do well during a brainstorming session. It's almost like they freeze up a little bit. And it's because they might receive their intuition in a quieter space, or they might have to be moving to receive their intuition. Mm. There's different ways that we receive. So 
if someone isn't at their best, their shiny self during a brainstorming session, it just means that you're getting your inspiration in another way. Because intuitive hits can come many different ways. For example, I, I was just working with a client and explaining that I get a lot of my creative ideas in the shower because there is something about doing something mundane that you know how to do and you take your mind off of a problem and then the solutions just start to pop in. And this mm-hmm. happens with anything that is we can do without thinking about it very much. So like walking, running, swimming, sewing, driving, anything that you can almost do automatic, folding the towels, like all of that stuff gives you a chance to, to move, to find a rhythm with something, to kind of let go of thinking. And that's when some ideas can pop in. It's a very easy way to access your intuition. So I get, I totally understand what you're saying. Like for me, sometimes I would run and uh, down near the river where we live up in Oregon. And there was always, almost without a doubt, I would come back with some new intuition inspired ideas. And so for me, it was that physical activity and being out in nature. And it's probably one reason why I love going and living in Bend is because of that. The, the city, the town, the environment almost says, Newland, it's okay to be intuitive. We're going to give you the resources to be able to step into that field. And so I get that. So sometimes, though, I get, here's my question. Try to find a way of articulating it. Just as we have different situations in, in, with people and characteristics of where we are involved in, like we might have a, a strategic planning session, we might have a finance session. We might be talking to somebody about their kids, that there's different contexts to that. And yet we all have our own signature way of tapping into intuition, to your point. So can we tap into our intuition in a style that may not be our preferred, but that we still have the ability to get there? Meaning, okay, I don't have my natural style of tapping into my intuition is not to be in a public setting with flip charts, all right? I'm a sower. I'm a runner. You know, that's not what I do. So, okay, I guess I'm not going to participate in this conversation because that's not my intuitive style process, right? Can we develop that skill or that clarity to be able to tap into our intuition, even if the process isn't necessarily our favorite? Yes, for sure. Because everyone can, intuition is just data, right? So you can tap into data and how you do that is you find this neutral space within yourself because everything is energy. Energy is neutral. So when you find neutral within yourself, then you can easily read a room. You can, you can read what you're doing with a project. So yes, you, intuition is always available, but, but what's important is to honor how your intuition comes in. So during that meeting, you can access your intuition, but it might not come as easily or as fast or as, as full pictured as you would if you were doing it in your regular process, if that makes sense. Right. It's sort of like, I get really intuitive when I'm sitting on the beach in Maui when the sun is setting. (laughs) Okay, great. That's really, that's your signature spot, but that doesn't mean you always get the the luxury of the environment to bring out the intuition, you actually might have the intention of intuition. You might have that clarity that that's what I need now. And then through that intentionality, maybe some intuitive uh, hits, as you might say, could come your way. Is so that what you, you're saying? 
Yeah. So Dean, if I was working with one of my clients and they said, okay, I love to sit on the beach in Maui and that's where I get most of my great ideas. I'd be like, okay, well, what is it about the beach in Maui that make that inspires that to be open? Because all you're doing is you're allowing the beach in Maui to be your permission slip in order yes. to receive information. Yes. So what is it about that that is letting you permit yourself to receive? And usually that is a feeling state. You're relaxed, you're calm, you're not worried, you're kind of zoned out a little bit. So then when you're in one of these sessions where you're allowed to be creative and inspired, you know, if that is, if there has been time and space set aside for that, then I would suggest to one of my clients, let's try to evoke that feeling of sitting in Maui. You know, close your eyes, find that centered, neutral space, you know, become relaxed. Think about, I would even suggest they think about, visualize be, like being in the beach chair on Maui and just sit there and see what happens. You know, you can use those same games of imag- imagination and visualization in order to tap into that intuitive. Yeah, I love it. And I love that line that you just said that uh, it's like the the permission slip. I think that's brilliant. Spot on. How then can we balance these two different domains? Or are they the same domain with different permission slips? Meaning we've got this analytical, data-based, factual, what's seen, what's touched, what's smelled what we would call reality, you know, in the way in which we, we, we measure it. And then we have this more elusive part of ourselves that doesn't always have a language, which we might call that intuitive gut sense. And they both are important. They both have a space in our life. They both are real. And yet, I wonder how best can we integrate these two? Like I was just at this meeting, I was telling you about Somebody put up on a flip chart the acronym WGMGD. And I went up and I said, Well, what does that stand for? And he goes, What gets measured gets done. <laughs> I thought, oh, okay, got it. And I don't disagree. I have a, I have, I can understand that. But that leaves no room for intuition, you know? And so my question then is, how do we balance intuition with our analytical minds? Yes. So you, so your analytical mind is kind of a gift of the physical world, right? So in order to be physical and and be in a material world, you've got to have an analytical mind because you have to know how to get to drive a car from point A to point B. You have to know to put your socks on before your shoes. You have to know when that's part of being in a physical world. Now, the intuitive part of you is much more natural to you because you have that when you're not here. So that's how you would always eternally operate, if you will. So the intuitive part of you is the part that receives, the part that gets inspired, that gets the ideas, that gets the inspiration. The analytical part of you is the one that figures out how to incorporate that into a physical world. Like, how do I then take this idea and make the book? How do I Hmm. take this idea and do the invention? How do I take this idea and present it to a team or to a client? I mean, that's the analytical part that comes in. So they kind of dovetail together. It's when we try to problem solve just from our analytical side of ourselves that we don't get the fresh idea. We don't get the the leap. We don't get that, the thing that moves us forward that we kind of, we might make progress, but it's slow and it feels hard and difficult and we don't go very far, very fast. So let's get more deep into this. So 
One sometimes would say intuition is akin to a feeling. It's akin to something that I sense in my body. One might say that. What is something or other definitions for when a person knows that they're tapping into that intuitive side? If I don't have the habit of being intuitive and trusting it, how do I know when I am or when I'm not? How do I know that what, I, what is intuitive is actually intuition versus I have a feeling about something that's not intuitive? It's all, you know, like one could say that, that intuition is feeling. So are all feelings intuitive, you know, but maybe they're not. Maybe that's really based on an egocentric perspective that you're re-triggered on something that happened when you were 10. And now all of a sudden you have a flood of hormones that are making you upset. Does that mean I'm being intuitive? Yeah, so that's a great question. So intuition, when you are truly tapped in, there's a couple things you want to know. Is that when to receive intuition, it is helpful to be in a calm, relaxed state of being. Now, having said that, intuition will still come in when you're not in a calm, relaxed state of being. You're driving a right. car and intuition says, take this right, and then you miss the car wreck above, you know, ahead Correct. of you. So it can be very fast like that. And people receive intuition differently. So some people get a knowing. Like they'll tell you, I just knew some people get a feeling like that's why we call it gut instinct, or I followed my heart, or I had a hunch. So people receive differently and it feels differently to the body, but the body's like one big tuning fork, if you will, right? So it's receiving. So your intuition is going to feel different than a normal thought. So your analytical thought is going to feel circular. It's going to feel like something you would think. It's going to feel like what your nature is, where intuition is going to feel like guidance. It's going to feel fresh. It's going to feel um, insightful. Now, when I say that, that's kind of the human response to it. Because again, all energy is neutral. It's just data. It just is. So when you receive intuition, what happens is you're just refocusing from your analytical part of yourself to this intuitive part of yourself that is getting intuitive flashes, not from what you've already known, but from information that is out there that you have ability to receive. And then you get excited about it or you get happy about it or you could even get scared about it if it triggers something in you. But the emotion, that reaction, is your human self responding to the data. Does that make so, sense? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. I want to pose another question to you to follow up on what you just said. <laughs> I love this. So for example, like I could get an intuitive hit that I need to move to Bend, Oregon. Like I could feel this like, oh, I should go to Bend, Oregon. Now, uh -huh. the data, that information is neutral. It just is. But now my reaction to that could be, oh, so excited. I've always wanted to go to Oregon. Or it could be fear. Uh -huh. I got to go to be an Oregon. What, what do you mean that? So that's part of the human us that either goes with the flow or resists it. 
So, so it's almost like a conveyor belt, you know, early on intuition might be a present and then the human reaction comes in later. Yes. It's going to come on the heels of it. Yes. Heels of it, right. Downstream of it. So and then where does. Fast so that you think that the intuition is the feeling, but the intuition is just. Good point. Good point. Because they get, they happen so quickly, they collapse on HLs and we think that this is okay. I love that distinction. So where does intuition come from? Is it a neurological situation? Because you talk about these flashes, you almost like you're saying that it's coming from someplace. Where is that place? Well, now I've. So we're getting woo woo here now. This is cool. Yes, we are. So we're going to go there. So here. All right, let's go. (laughs) Buckle up. (laughs) So intuition is really communication from what I would call your soul self, the aspect of you that is ancient and wise and eternal. Some people call that their higher self. Some people call that their inner being. It doesn't really matter what you call it. The label is a very human thing. It's that part of you that existed before you became physical and will exist after you are physical. And that communication is coming from a broader perspective, a higher perspective. It's almost like if they were on the mountain and they just have a different viewpoint. And you're the human kind of here in the valley doing all the physical fun things, but they have a different perspective, your soul self does, of where, of how to get where you want to go. So that's why intuition can sometimes feel like it's making you take a right turn when you think you want to go straight, or it's making you double back two steps because your soul self can see the obstacles in your path and it's guiding you around those things. It's taking you down the path of least resistance. So intuition is going to feel like because it works with symbols, because it works with some not words, right? Language is a very human thing. It's going to give you these flashes of insight that then the human translates. Yes. And some people can get this as visions. Some people get this as just direct knowing. There's lots of different ways that you can receive intuition. There's lots of different ways you can engage with your intuition. So is intuition the vehicle or is intuition the source? Intuition is, I believe is, well, I would say intuition is the pathway is how I would frame it up. It's the channel. It's a conduit. Yes. So then it's, it's the delivery mechanism. Yes. So if intuition is the delivery mechanism, and I, I'm not disagreeing with anything you're saying, we've had these conversations, especially my wife and I for years then is the source of intuition, if intuition is just a delivery mechanism, that higher self that you say, the mind versus the brain, the soul versus the body, that there's something that is overarching beyond our human experience that we are tapping into, the vehicle being which is intuition. So say more about that spot. I mean, that's a a different domain essentially that you're talking about because there were i think there are different layers you know that could uh, my intuitive self could be a great pattern recognizer and through listening and being present i start seeing things that are in the physical world you know i can start putting connecting the dots that may not necessarily be as a higher level higher isn't necessarily to say a value judgment i'm just saying it's a different level but what you're talking about is a kind of intuition that is delivering information that transcends this physical space and that transcends this body. 
and that is coming from what you might call your soul, your higher self. So speak to what what is that? Well, for me, that what I experience with myself, with my clients, that soul self is the part of you that is self-reflective of source, right? And so that soul self, all of our soul selves are constantly wanting to expand, to experience, to grow. And so how the soul self does that is through a physical material world, if that makes sense. So your soul self is, well, as a human, you would not have agreed to go from this bigger kind of energetic being that you are into this little bitty human, unless you knew that you would have guidance, that you would have help, that you would have assistance, and that you would be able to navigate this world with with kind of another perspective up there helping you. Does that make sense? Yes. So if we've got this expanded, more limitless experience, which the level that you're defining is the soul and other language that might go along with that, why then come down to this very dull, lower vibration existence? Is this, I mean, what's the purpose behind that? Is there a purpose behind that? I sometimes wonder about that and have talked to other people about that, but I want to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, so Dean, that's tapping into what what I would call the soul's journey. So your soul, souls are naturally curious. They are, they have lots of wonder about them. And so as a soul, you use the human experience or whatever other physical experience in order to understand themes. So for example, let me give you an example. If someone would had, if their soul was curious about healing, they might decide to become, to come into a physical body and explore the nature of healing from the perspective of being a healer. Now that could take on many different forms. That could take on becoming a doctor or a nurse or a massage therapist or a physical therapist or an energy worker. There's lots of different ways the human could explore being a healer. Now, the soul could also decide it wanted to explore healing from their perspective of being somebody that needs to be healed. So they could dawn some characteristics that as humans, we would consider needed healing and then have that experience of healing through the perspective of being healed or choosing not to be healed. So the soul is just garnering information, wisdom, knowledge, experience in order to expand, to expand, to expand. Is it expanding for itself or is it expanding for the physical plane? Well, the physical plane is it and it is the physical plane, right? So, I mean, the human that you are is the soul that you are. The soul that you are is the human that you are. And yet we have a mind or I should say a brain, let's make that distinction, a brain that doesn't always see that way. It's like as soon as you are born, you forget whatever happened in a prior lifetime, right? And then we spend most of our time in our life trying to remember stuff that we forgot. So what is it that... <laughs> but that's, I, part of, that's part of the limitations that we imposed <clears throat> on ourselves to be here, right? So that's kind of part of how this 
human game was set up. There are certain kind of rules or limitations, just like if you if you played Monopoly, you know, you go a certain way around the board. Well, that's just part of that game. So it's kind of part of the human game that we have forgotten so that it would be fun to get here and to remember. It would be fun to get here and to have our soul self help us with guidance. It's almost like an Easter egg hunt. So that's part of just being here. If you had remembered everything, then the human earthly experience would have lost some of its zap, if you will. Yeah, but I'm still trying to get from your perspective as to, so, okay, and maybe this is just the way my mind works, right? <laughs> Find purpose for things. What's the purpose of this game that we're playing that interconnects? And even though it's the same, the soul and the body and the mind and the brain, all these things going on, the part that forgets, the part that remembers. So what? For the journey, for the expansion, for the nowness. See now, see this is this is where our analytical mind starts to really want to analyze it. If, there, if I'm here, there's a purpose, and I'm going to go from point A to point B, right? I mean, and Fair how? Enough. Why would I want to go from point A to point B? Yes. And, right. So, but souls' journeys can look really different. Some people go from point A to point B, and they go as fast as they can. And some folks, when they come down and from their soul's journey perspective, it might be more zigzaggy. They might be more interested in, in learning little bits of here and there, or it might be more circular in fashion where they come back over and over again to want to learn something from a different perspective each time. So from a soul, it we're not necessarily looking to go from point A to point B as fast as we can. That might not be what we're interested in this time. Mm. So what about if you look at it at a larger level then, of individuals to to the collective, to the the group, the family, the planet? And I sometimes think that there's, uh, obviously there's, we think very much as the ego, the center, that it's about the individual's journey, right? And we look at it from the sense of I, you know, me. But when you Obviously, if you can keep expanding the vision out further, we're just a small little drop in a large ocean that is having these experiences together. And then it's like, what, what's the organism? Is the organism the self? Is the organism the collective? And so if we look at it from the organism as the collective, it's the human species that is to the degree that the language will allow us to get our arms around, then what's sort of the collective soul's lesson that we as a planet right now are going through that? From your perspective, what are we here to learn as a collective? And maybe that's an analytical approach to this. I get it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's all right. So it makes me smile because why do you think we're here to learn? Right. So if you are soul, and soul is source, so it's not, from my view, from working with clients. Your soul is not so much here to learn. That's kind of like wanting to figure out a problem, right? Or figure out a solution. Or It's more this kind of, I, I want to use the word growth, but that's not even accurate. It's this expansive feeling of experience. It's like you, it's like if you wanted to go on a trip, you know, if you were going to take a vacation, I would, wouldn't say to you, Dean, what are you going to learn on your trip? I would be like, 
What did you experience? What what was fun? What delighted mm. you? What you know, where were the obstacles? Tell me about it. Right? It wouldn't be so much that you were taking that to learn something. And you could be, you could be taking an educational trip, or you might just be taking an easy, relaxing trip. There's all different reasons why we're here. So well, this is totally my perspective. I get it. But even when I go on a journey to the degree that you just described, right? I see it from, this is Dean saying this, I see it from what is it that I learned in my vacation in Maui, right? I mean, what is it that, I mean, even though it was a relaxation vacation, I wasn't there going to any archeological digs. I wasn't there to do anything other than just to sit at the pool all day, right? I come at it from, what was that about? I and mean, what did I learn from that? I had a great experience and I love the experience. It could have been fantastic. Is there something out of that that I can kind of go, hmm. now that's the way I, I see the world. I'm always, and maybe it's because I'm in the business I am. Every experience I have, this is, <laughs> this is telling on myself. I always look to how do I teach this? Always. Well, because- I'm hardwired. Well, Dean, exactly. That's part of your journey, right? And, and at the core of you is the teacher, Dean. Yes. So that you're always coming at it from that perspective, from that angle, right? Yeah. But not everybody is has at the core of them a teacher. So not everybody is looking to be a student or then to know <laughs> how to teach that information. So yeah, yeah. Some people, if you were a creative, you would want to, if you were an artist, a visual artist, you might be exploring like what that shell looked like versus what the sand looked like versus the texture versus, I mean, you'll come at it from a completely different angle. That experience will then kind of just live within you. And then you use it at another time, right? To, to paint a painting and you use, oh, wait, I liked how that wave looked. So we're all mm -hmm. kind of coming at it from a different perspective. So let me ask you another question to sort of bring the different layers of the cake into this conversation. So I'm listening to you and it makes sense. I'm a listener, right? And I want to be able to encourage somebody or make them make, create, help create an environment, help create a connection that allows for connection, allows for intuition allows for the blending of intuition analytical thinking are there some ways that as a person that i can encourage intuition in somebody else and what would that look like again from an analytical perspective i get it oh, yeah, yeah 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 sure that that makes complete sense so what i would suggest for folks who don't feel like they're tapped into their intuition and they're looking for a process right because you got to start with what you know, which is you're, you're operating from the analytical side of yourself. So a couple of things I would suggest is, number one, to, to get quiet, to spend some time in silence, whatever that means to you, whether that's trying meditation, walking in nature, just sitting on your back porch. I would nurture silence because when we stop thinking for just a little bit, when we just kind of, kind of let that be background noise, that's when our intuition has room to grow and show itself. So when we kind of let the outer world dim its lights a little bit so we can turn to the inner world, that's when intuition kind of has a place. We make room for it in our lives. So what I suggest to my folks is to, to nurture silence, to find a way to get quiet, 
And then I ask them to check in with themselves. So, and when I say check in, what I mean is check in with the human aspect of you, the person aspect. So how's your mind today? How are your emotions today? How's the physical body feeling today? Like let it talk to you because until you kind of let it have its say, it's not going to calm down enough for you to hear your intuition. So to nurture that intuition, check in with yourself, check in with the mind, check in with the emotions, check in with the body, let it have its say, and it will peter out. Once you kind of just but pay attention to it and give it some attention, it will start to calm down. And then I suggest to folks, that's when you want to tune in. And when I say tune in, that means that's when you're trying to find that calm, centered, neutral place. And so that you can tap into your higher self, to your soul self. The next step I would suggest is then that's when you can receive. That's when you just sit and you can receive. And that might be just an emotion. That might be an idea. That might be a memory that gets triggered. That might be a, a visualization. That might be your body gets hot or cold. Just receive. And then once mm. you receive guidance or you receive information, that's when the analytical mind can come back in and you can interpret that into a doing. And I would do a baby tiny step when I suggest a doing. So if someone says, you know, I received information. I was sitting in silence and I thought about my sister and I thought, oh, I have not talked to her in a while. That's information. So when you get out of your meditation or your moment of silence, that's when you might want to go call your sister or send her a text or be like, mm. hey, just thought about you. And that's how it works. And then the loop starts back over again. So that's what I would suggest. And I would suggest to someone who has not been nurturing their intuition or they don't feel like they have, you know, access to it on, on demand, then I would start with that kind of simple few steps. I would sit. I would let the outer world quiet. I would turn to my inner world. I would tune into myself. I would, I would check in with myself. I would tune into my soul. I would receive and then I would do. It's good stuff. I was just thinking about a client I was talking to recently who said that he has 50 to 60 hours of meetings a week. And I was like, how is it that you're possibly able to get intuition going into your life if you don't have any space for it? And that's a common thing for a lot of people that they're running at such a pace that we get a badge of honor about how much we work and how how hard we work and work hard ergo you will succeed you know and all these things are not to say that they are completely untrue but they don't allow for that space to be able to say your walk around the block your meditation your practice of being able to get present is actually a my, my wife was telling me this a long time ago it's a business function because you're going to get ideas for that way you know you need to incorporate that in you have to make a space for intuition otherwise why would it show up you know, then it's going to come at you with little hits, but you won't know how to interpret it. You know, you don't understand what's going on. Yeah. You focus on, is where your life goes, right? So yeah. if, if you focus on your intuition and let it have a place in your life, then it will just naturally grow. It's when you just don't give any attention to it or you don't value it that it's going to lay dormant. Yes. Michelle, this has just been great. You've got such a nice energy about you and you're so... You create such a great space for people to just be. And I really appreciate the energy and the time that you shared. Uh, how can people connect with you? 
Yeah. So thanks for asking. The easiest way is on my website and that's michellesammons.com. I'm on all the social media channels too, but if they really are interested in working with me or there's lots of free resources there, my website's the best way, michellesammons.com. And you've got a book though too, right? Do I have two books. Thank you for asking. What's the name of the books? Yeah. So the first one is the little book of big knowing tiny burst of insight to wake up your soul. And that is a book that I suggest people read intuitively. So it's kind of short chapters that you can pick up and you don't have to read it from A to B or from forwards to backwards. You can just pick it up as you like, and it offers kind of inspiration and insight. The second book is called The Intuitive Companion. And Mm -hmm. that book that you, it's great for people who are trying to nurture their intuition and they don't feel like they're really tuning into their own guidance. This is the intuitive companion is more of a tool that you can go to. You can get quiet, ask a question, then open the book to a a page that your intuition guides you to read the answer. And then you use your own intuition to how it applies in your life. So all my books are about all my work really is about nurturing this intuition, getting you in touch with your soul self so you can hear that communication and then using it all to live you know, the most fun, fabulous life you can hear. Do you have a podcast? No podcast. Don't. Well, I have an intuition that you would do well with a podcast. (laughs) Well, thank you for that. I appreciate that. (laughs) I think you'll do very well with that. Michelle, it's been great to talk to you. It's been wonderful. I appreciate it, Dean. Just wonderful conversation and questions. And thank you for having me. You bet. Thank you for listening to The Business of Intuition. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to learn more about Dean or Mission Facilitators Leadership, go to mfileadership.com. That's mfileadership.com.